Welcome to Refocus. I'm your host, Trevor Wilson. This is a podcast of Sunday school lessons that I've taught, some sermons that I have preached. Uh, I have various guests at different times. Uh, Basically, the, the whole idea is to just kind of refocus back on the Word of God, going back to those Bible stories, studying the scriptures. Let's just, just kind of get out of ourselves, out of our own thinking, and go back to the Word of God and see what He has to say. I love those old Sunday school lessons when we were kids. We seem to have gotten away from some of those, just the bare bones bottom of what the Word of God, the meat and potatoes, if you will. So I hope you enjoy it and pass along and share. Now, let's get to the lesson. Hello again, Steve Wilson. We're back continuing our study in the book of Matthew. We have um, progressed through chapter 23. Um, we kind of went through those last few verses um, in a little bit of a rush. Um for two reasons. One, I really wanted to get through that final chapter, or that, that chapter, rather, um, to just kind of wrap that whole thing up before the end of my that particular segment. But secondly, uh, because it just gives sort of a brief introduction to the following chapter, and I didn't want to get too in-depth in that in, in the prior discussion because the general topic was different. But now, when we get into chapter 24, as we're going to do this today, or on this podcast, um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, future events and, you know, the, the prophecies and so on that is contained here. Jesus took a, a segment here in chapter 24 and sort of chapter 25, but more chapter 24 to share a whole lot of information in a very short uh, discourse, um, and I, you know I don't want to get too deep into eschatology here because there's not enough information in Matthew to base you know the conclusions that that you know I've drawn over the years. Um, you got to include Daniel and Revelation and some other passages in order to put it all together. Uh, I'm just going to kind of talk about the impact and so on, and and kind of point you a little bit into the direction I think that he's going here with regard to this prophecy, because, you know, the general theme of the book is is not a prophetic theme. He just kind of puts this in here to relate to, um, you know, to the Jewish nation. Matthew, of course, is speaking to the Jews uh, predominantly. That's the uh, direction of this particular gospel. The other three gospels have, they talk about a lot of the same things, of course, but, you know, they take it from a different perspective. So Matthew's perspective was to the Jewish people, and I'm sure we mentioned before he was a tax collector, and so his burden, um, you know, when he was converted was to go back and kind of make amends, I, I think, you know, for his prior life um, and point the Jews to Christ. So anyway, um, you know, he kind of starts out here in chapter 24, picking up on what he finished with in chapter 23 when he was talking about the temple and the destruction of the temple. So it says in uh, chapter 24, in verse 1, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. 
And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So I, I want to point out before I get into these two verses here that you have to keep in mind that Jesus doesn't have a time frame. You know, in heaven there's no such thing as time. All events just kind of happen. Um, and, and they're not they're not segmented by time. You know, the, the, all of Earth's creation and existence is just kind of wrapped into one big ball of happenstance. Uh, and heaven, I, I know that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but that's just the way it is. And so when he's talking about these events that are still to come from an earthly perspective, um, they're all congruent kind of events, coexisting sort of events from his perspective. And, and that's kind of the way they're being shared here. So as he's talking about the temple, um, you know, as I indicated in chapter 23, you know, there was a time coming in 70 AD where the temple was destroyed and it was utterly decimated. And so when you get into chapter 24, then he begins talking about the temple. You just kind of naturally assume that's the direction he's going. But I, you know, I'm not so sure that's the case. There's a lot of dual meaning in some of this stuff, um, because now when he's talking about the temple, when you think about it, here we are a couple thousand years later, and when he says there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. There is no temple today. That temple doesn't even exist. That ground has been replowed and things have been rebuilt. And now, you know, the, you know there's the Dome of the Rock sitting there, a Muslim temple in its place. So the Jewish temple doesn't even exist. exist. So quite literally, there's not one stone upon another because there's no such thing as a temple. And that's so... You know, in retrospect, we can now look back and understand that he's he's not just referring to the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. He's talking about the existence of the, quite literally, the existence of the temple at all. Now, in other studies of, of um, eschatology, you'll find where the temple will be rebuilt during the days of tribulation and so on. You know, we're not going to get into that. The point is, it's not there now. And he begins to talk about events here um, during the last days. Now, let me just briefly give you my, you know, the, the, the direction I'm coming from, because I believe I'm, I'm a, a pre-trib, pre-millennial person. Uh, I believe that the rapture comes, Christ returns for his own, and then the seven years of tribulation occurs where the abomination of desolation, and it mentions here in a few verses, comes in and sits on the, the throne um, in, in the, the very temple after they rebuilt it. Then he comes in after in the second half of the seven years and, and plops down on the throne himself, and you have the, um, the Antichrist sitting there. And so you have all these terrible things that occur during the seven-year tribulation period. And then at the end of the tribulation period, Christ returns then in the second coming and, and establishes and he cleans things up. You have the Battle of Armageddon and all that. And then, uh, he, you know, he, he sits and rules and there. Satan is cast into 
the lake of, into the bottomless pit for a thousand years, and he, you know we have what we call the millennial reign, and then at the end of that, the battle of Gog and Magog, and then there's the new heaven and the new earth, and and all. Then there's you know the eternal bliss that we experience, you know, with Jesus here on a on a new heaven and with a new heaven and a new earth. So, uh, I, you know, that's just briefly what I believe without getting into, you know, why I believe it and all that. Just so you understand the direction that I'm coming from as I talk about these verses here. So here we are now prior to the seven-year tribulation, and he's, and he's referring to the temple that we know today is not even there. And so we see here you know, this this prophecy um, about the temple being destroyed. And, of course, we now have a whole lot more history to look back on to verify all that and, and recognize it's not just a matter of destroying the temple. It's obliterated. It's gone. It's just not there. Um, so, you know, when he comes back and it's rebuilt, you know, they have to start from scratch. So, you know, the disciples have taken him out there and they're they're being somewhat prideful and showing him the temple. And um, he's not impressed. He's saying, yeah, okay, this is pretty cool, but you know what's going to happen to this thing? You know, it's all going to be gone, so all your work is for naught. Um, y y y I know that, you know, you Jew the Jewish people built this temple to honor um, God, but their behavior has dishonored him, and therefore all the works of their hands dishonor him. You know, it's lost its meaning. Um, and so that's that's where they're at here. And so he takes them out in verse 3. It says, and he sat upon the Mount of Olives. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, well, tell us when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? So they ask him these three questions. You know, when, when is it going to happen? Um, how are we going to know it's coming? And, you know, when will the end of the world be? Again, this is humanity basing everything on a time factor. You know, that's the way we're created. That's our limitation. That's the only thing we understand. We really can't comprehend in an existence where there's no such thing as time. We understand that you might live forever. We understand the idea of eternity and all that, that, you know, it's never-ending. But we really don't understand the idea that there really there's no such thing as time. There was, we can't imagine no beginning. We can imagine no end. We can't imagine no beginning. Um, something in, in, in our minds, we believe everything had to have a start. Well, when there's no such thing as time, then there's no such thing as a beginning, and there's no such thing as an end. So they're asking these things from a human perspective. And Jesus answered them, in verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Now, this is, he, he talks about false prophets. I think he mentions them three times, and I'll point them out as we go through this chapter. Um, but number one, he's telling them, look, um, don't be deceived by those who come and try to answer these questions. He says in verse 5, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So a lot of people will be, de will be deceived. He, I, I realize he's addressing the, the apostles here, the disciples. 
Um, but he's speaking, you know, uh, uh, to the world in general. He's basically telling them, telling them what they need to share, what they need to preach. He's teaching them so that they can share with the world that, look, there's deception coming. And obviously we see that deception. We look around today and we see how, you know, some beliefs out there just absolutely blow me away and, and there's no basis for them. They have not only... You know, do they believe crazy things? But they have to, they have to dream up some kind of crazy basis for it in order, in order to have something to base it upon. Then it's it's pretty obvious that you know that that basis is false. But anyway, he's telling them, you know, there are people who are coming who are going to attempt to answer these questions, and. You, you know, you're going to be deceived because they're answering them from man's perspective. For instance, how many times, and this happens, this has happened multiple times in the, in the, the uh, Jehovah Witness realm, where uh, a prophet or seer or whatever they want to call themselves might come and say, hey, you know, the end of the world is coming on and then they'll give you a date. Well, those dates have come and gone, and I think two or three different times they have prophesied dates, and when they come and go and, you know, nothing happens, you know, then they come up with some reason as to why um, it was incorrect, but now this next date they want to prophesy, this one's the real date, and well, the date comes and goes, and they come up with another excuse. Um, but the problem is people are deceived by that, and it's because, you know, these... When man comes and tries to answer these types of questions based on um, man's concept, um, you know, man's limited abilities, uh, to put it into terms that we can really understand, um, it's, it, that's, that's a sign in and of itself that it's not coming from God. And as he answers these questions are sort of answers these questions just put it that way through chapter 24 it can be difficult to follow because his answers are coming from a perspective that there's no such thing as a time limitation um, and so these things just kind of run together as far as prophetic deliverance um, is concerned um, and we try to take them and 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 um, break them down and place them on a time frame, and that's a very difficult thing to do. I think, to some degree, as you compare the other scriptures that I mentioned before, you know, the other books of of the Bible that talk about uh, eschatology. You can do that to to some to a great degree, and of course we believe you know that we kind of know what's coming. But I'll be quite honest with you, would not surprise me if we were wrong. Uh, I don't believe I am, but you know what? None of us, surely nobody, can claim to completely understand the Word of God. Um, it's so far beyond us. I mean, every day when we open it and read it, we readily admit that it's beyond our comprehension. Um, so why would not our understanding of prophecy also kind of be on be beyond our compre comprehension? So in verse twenty-four or chapter twenty-four of Matthew here, uh, you get a, a lot of stuff that's going to happen 
but putting it into a time frame can be somewhat difficult. So we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go through the rest of this chapter here. Right now we're out of time. So we'll see you next time. Goodbye and God bless.